The Public News Service Daily Newscast, May the 6th, 2022. I'm Mike Clifford. North Dakota's lone abortion clinic says a patient should stick with their appointments despite U.S. Supreme Court rhetoric, but that doesn't mean that contingency plans aren't in play. North Dakota is one of 13 states that would automatically ban the procedure should the court overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade law. That scenario grew closer to reality this week following the leak of a draft court opinion. But since it wasn't a formal vote, Tammy Kromenacher of Fargo's Red River Women's Clinic says they'll keep seeing patients. However, should the predicted outcome happen, she says they don't want service to suffer. We are exploring the possibility of finding space across the river so that the access for the patients that we've been serving for the last 24 years here at Red River Women's Clinic, that access essentially stays the same for them. Moving across the river into Minnesota is an option because it's a safe haven state. But she stresses those talks are preliminary. Anti-abortion activists have long argued that abortion is a violation of their religious beliefs. I'm Mike Moen. Meantime, ABC News reports an imposing, unscalable, eight-foot-high fence has been erected at the U.S. Supreme Court in the wake of protests over the bombshell draft opinion on abortion. Abortion rights activists and some anti-abortion protesters have rallied at the Supreme Court each day since Politico reported the draft document on Monday. That report included the preliminary votes of the majority. Neither the Supreme Court nor the Capitol Police have said anything publicly about possible threats to the court or to any of the justices. A new program offers an alternative method for rural folks in Illinois who need medical aid but may not be able to make a trip to a hospital to get it. The Rural Home Hospital Program aims to help doctors bridge the miles between themselves and their patients. Mary Frances Barthel is with the Quincy-based Blessing Health System, which includes three hospitals and a coverage area with portions of Illinois, Missouri, and Iowa. She says its Quincy location is the largest hospital in the region. Not only do the patients have to travel to get here to receive care, but their families need to travel back and forth then in order to visit them, in order to communicate with physicians or participate in their care. Blessing Health is conducting a three-year study of the rural home hospital system to see how it works for rural patients. The program uses telehealth and remote monitoring machines to keep an eye on folks as they recover. A nurse stops by twice a day for in-person check-ins, and Barthel makes a daily telehealth virtual visit. This is Jonah Chester reporting. This story produced with original reporting from Liz Carey for The Daily Yonder. This is PNS. The Connecticut General Assembly passed a $24 billion state budget this week that now awaits Governor Ned Lamont's signature. Our Emily Scott reports it includes multiple investments that will benefit the state's senior population. Budget provisions include funding to lower the copay for people in the state's home care program for elders from 4.5 to 3 percent. It provides daily assistance at home with things like bathing, dressing, eating, and taking medication. AARP Connecticut's Anna Doragazi says efforts by the state to make long-term care more affordable are critical. What we know is that in the absence of the care that's provided through programs like the Connecticut Home Care Program for Elders, people end up going into nursing homes, which is a very expensive type of care and a care that's predominantly covered by taxpayers. The approved budget plan coincides with the end of the legislative session. 
Doragazi says she was disappointed that lawmakers did not advance any bills that would have lowered prescription drug prices. I'm Emily Scott. An inspector general's report from the U.S. Department of Labor says government agencies should have collaborated in the early days of the pandemic to protect workers at meatpacking plants from the coronavirus. Adam Pulver is with Public Citizen and says the Labor Department's Occupational Safety and Health Administration should have gotten more involved, but documents reveal OSHA that the USDA take the responsibility for workers and COVID-19. The USDA had a very pro-industry view and did very little, if anything, to, to protect workers and kind of went out of its way to interfere with state and local governments that were attempting to protect workers and the public health. Finally, Chance Dorland tells us as kids grow up, parents and caregivers across Texas face a difficult decision of how to oversee social media use with an ongoing debate on whether or not kids should be allowed on social media at all. Bob Sanborn, president and CEO of Texas-based research nonprofit Children at Risk, advises that research shows rather than cutting children off from social media, parents and caregivers should take an active role to prevent children from falling victim to potential negative effects like depression, anxiety, and even self-harm. From an early age, when you give the first smartphone to your child, they have to know that you're going to be a part of this. This is not their diary. There's no privacy involved. Kids get this idea that their parents are looking over their shoulder. They understand that their parents care. This is Mike Clifford, and thank you for wrapping up your week with Public News Service. Member analysts are supported. Heard on radio stations big and small, your favorite podcast platform, and find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org.